Hi everyone, welcome to the webinar. You should be able to see and hear me loud and clear. Let me know that you can see and hear me. Sometimes the uh, the microphone can be a little bit dodgy. But uh, welcome one and all. I'm just gonna send a quick re-invite to those who've not already just got it. That's been done uh, and the numbers are coming up on board. Let me know where you're from as well. I'm not gonna keep you longer than 60 minutes. I want you to grab a pen and paper and the most important thing you're gonna need because we've got over 100 slides, information pack that we're gonna go through is gonna be one of these. You're gonna need a phone because you're gonna wanna take pictures uh, because some of the things I'm gonna be running through relatively quickly, there's too much information data. It's the kind of thing you'll wanna look over a little bit later on. Uh, Marguerite, great, fantastic. Uh, Derek, Stephen, Roman, Kenneth, uh, Jerry, Ravi, Tanya, uh, Alison, Francis, Robert, David, Rafi, welcome one and all. Right, let me get on with it and let me share some uh, screenshots with you as well. Thank you, uh, Neil. Uh, Alan from Scotland. Bonnie Scotland, gorgeous Scotland. Absolutely love Scotland. Um, don't you go leaving us now, Alan. Don't you go leaving us. Uh, I know some of you are getting ideas. Don't do it. Now, I'm going to see if I'm going to try and find out which screen I've got to share. Is that the right one? It is the right one. Fantastic. Okay. Um, uh, hey, Ravi, always uh, from Luton. Uh, and we're going to meet up. I will send you the, the, the dates and, and times. Don't just bear with me. It's just, I don't know. Summer things aren't getting quieter. They're supposed to get quieter, uh, which, is, which is my fault uh, entirely. And uh, so th this is, I don't know if you guys saw this. Some of you will be on this webinar for the first time. Ravi, you'll be on this webinar for the, I don't know, 10th time, uh, which is always good. Uh, you're always welcome. Some of you will be the first time. You might have seen the article in the Investors Chronicle, Warren Buffett make way for the fin Finfluencers. Apparently, I'm a Finfluencer. After all these years, who would have known? And that's what they'd said. Some in the city appear to be taking a note. Fund manager, up trial, regular talking head on the BBC, started posting lighthearted quick takes on TikTok last year and has since picked up nearly 37,000 followers. It is true, all true. So uh, if you're coming through, if you're a first time person, welcome. But let's get on with the serious stuff, which is what you're here for. Like I said, pen and paper, and please grab a phone so you can take uh, photos of some of the screenshots. What's this webinar about? It's about the investment markets at the moment, okay? We had a bit of a wobble last week where they fell back sharp we've got a whole bunch of earnings this week from facebook amazon all the rest of it u.s markets at all-time highs uk fastest growth since the second world war but we're all worried about two things one are we missing it for some of us that we're missing it and for others oh wait a minute what if it pulls back okay it's an incredibly high level so that's the two questions i'm going to talk about and how do you structure a portfolio so you're not gambling you're not uh, trying to time the market you're not trying to trade your investments but instead can ensure that you are protected if the market should fall and most definitely if it continues to rise you're getting that upside that's what we want that's the dream scenario obviously it is that's our end goal so let's start with the end goal in mind which is if the market should fall we should be protected if it rises we should be getting part of that without trying to guess which sector, which country, which time, uh, uh, what's going to happen next, which will just cause us to uh, have a heart attack, actually. So this is where we are. The problem is most people will either be doing it themselves, in which case they don't know what they're doing, and it'll be like me trying to do bloody DIY, which I absolutely hate. That That's me. That, 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 I mean, it's not literally a picture of me. But if I try to do DIY, that'd be me, okay? So those people trying to do DIY um, stock picking, this is what usually happens. They get a few things right, like they can stick one screw in and one nail in, and after that, it all collapses. So they think, I'll give it to a fund manager, which is a reasonable thing to do. The downside with that is you're just paying the salary of a fat cat in the city, and trust me, you don't want to be doing that. Those guys are, and they're mainly guys, are rich enough, thank you very much. Okay, so what we want to try and do is get you into that sweet spot where you're running it yourself, but with the competence of a good fund manager. So you've got no fees you're paying. I like the sound of that, no fees. Okay, you've got control. You know where you stand every day, 24-7, as opposed to waiting for a monthly report from someone who tells you that the last month was really bad and now it's too late anyway for you and says to you, hey, give me your money for 15 years and it should be all right by then. Okay, uh, and that way you've got a better choice because you're not stuck to a fund manager who can only pick UK stocks or only US stocks or only growth or only income. You've got 
of global choice. And I'm going to show you that's why you want to be doing it that way. So that's what we're going to, that's that's what I'm about. Those who've been on my webinars before, they know that. What I'm going to do is bring everything up to date. Where are we today with the markets? Okay, what's my strategy going forward? How do I generate the returns? So you can copy what I consider to be best practice. All right, that's the goal. Uh, and it's all part of my campaign, uh, what I call my campaign for a million, which is to teach a million people uh, how to invest. It's a free campaign. It's to teach a million people how to become better investors. Okay, as I get older, I want to you know, have more purpose in my life than just um, making rich people richer. I want to make regular people richer. So that's a campaign to teach a million people how to invest. And uh, this, this is all, these these free webinars are a part of that. I've got free investment books and free investment materials, which I'll give you access to, uh, and free instant messenger market insights. Some of you already know this, and for your kids' internship and work experience, all also free. Anyway, all of that's completely free. I will tell you the links for all of that in just one second. Right, so this is all part of that bigger goal. Quick thing, I don't know you personally, so this is not financial advice. It would be a criminal offense for me to give you individual financial advice through a webinar where I don't even know who the heck you are. All I know is your first name. Alan is from Scotland. I cannot give you individual financial advice. So you've got to treat this like education and information before you work out what's suitable to you. Because I don't even know your personal circumstances, your risk profiles or anything like that. Okay, so I'm going to give you the education for you to make the informed decisions yourself. All right, that's my goal. It'd be completely different if we were sitting opposite each other and we're going through it one-to-one, -one, but that's a different scenario. So that's why, you know, when people say this is not financial advice, what they mean is they don't know your personal circumstances. So they can't talk generalities and then you go away thinking that's suitable for me because we don't know if it is, okay? So you get that. This is the past month. This is just the past month. Now that begs a bunch of questions. Well, what the hell does this mean, Alpesh? Does it mean I should own Microsoft because in the past month it's gone up? Or does it mean I should put, pick whole sectors which are all green and just look to pick stocks within those? Or does it mean I should pick the red ones because they're lagging and they'll catch up? Or does it mean the market's just clearly overbought because everything's so green and therefore I should sell? Those should be just some of the questions getting into your head. Okay, right now, and my job is to give you the simple process by which we answer that. So we don't worry too much about the market, as it were. Uh, but instead, what we do is we just get on with having the picks. Right. So how many stocks should we perhaps own in a in a portfolio? How do we decide that? How long should we hold it for? How do we know when to sell? All of these things should be simple so you can spend more time out in the sunshine and playing with your kids than just being a geek like I am and just constantly, you know, reading books or in my case, writing books. I'll give you a free download of that in this webinar as well. All right. So that's the purpose. So when you see numbers like this, people sometimes they get confused. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, great. Okay. And by the way, that's not just the universe we're going to be picking from. No, sorry. There's not enough stocks. There. There's only 500 there. Look at this. That's the world. Every single one of these you can buy through a Hargreaves Langsan or a Barclays Stockbrokers or an AJ Bell or a Free Trader, whatever. These are global companies. They're all listed on the stock exchange. But does that mean, how do we pick them? Okay. Are we going to pick it by country? Are we going to be uh, racist? And say, hey, I only want Canadian companies because I'm racist. I like Canadians. Um, or are we going to be a little bit more savvy than that? Uh, like I said in the last one, was it are we going to be picking sectors? Well, surely it's about the company, not the sector. So we need to have a simple process to do this. And by the way, there isn't necessarily one right answer. I think there's a, a what some answers are better than others. And I'm going to give you what I think is the best answer. Uh, and I've got a bit of pedigree in this. And then the answer I'm giving, they've been published. This is not a plug for my books. The Financial Times have published this a many long time ago. Nobody buys books now for internet trading and, and material. So that's why I do these webinars because people like, you know, well, it's 2021 for a start. Okay. So how are we going to decide that, right? Which countries? And, and look at some of those numbers. We want some of that. That's in the past chart. I want to, uh, from, when it comes to my uh, non-UK picks, I target 40% return per annum. When it's just purely UK, it's just 20% per annum because the UK tends to generate less than the rest of the world uh, because with the rest of the world, I've got a bigger choice uh, and therefore I can really get to that 40%. Whereas with just the UK, there's a small geographic group and therefore I can't be overambitious, okay? So, you know, yes, the the, the Shopify's and the... And, and the uh, ACN from Highland, 
uh, or whatever else. You know, I want those 40%. And we see some of those numbers and we know they exist. So we want to see how we can uh, pick out of them. Okay, that's what we're going to do. That's what the webinar's about. And we know we've got a problem, though. The world, world stocks keep breaking breaking new records. So when are we going to get that pullback? It's bound to happen sooner or later. Like I said, please grab a pen and paper or, or take a photo of some of these um, things. If you want to look at these in detail, I don't want somebody complaining to me afterwards saying, oh, you moved too quickly and I couldn't really pour over it. There's more than one person on this webinar, okay? Um, so I really need you guys to take pictures if you want to pour over any of this data. And I'd rather give you lots and lots of slides. I've got over 100 here, uh, and you pour of it in your own time than, than bore you to death by being on each slide for hours. Okay, and you can see the, the rise, for instance, in the U.S. markets, it's not just in one sector. It's, it's a particular reason why I don't really care about sectors. What I care about is what the underlying companies are doing. But again, this begs the question, has tech seen its best days or is it specific companies in tech we might want? And in any event, that says tech sector, but how's that weighted? What if it's just weighted by, say, Microsoft? Uh, and that's what we really mean. What about if all the other companies are rubbish? That's why those complexities often lead people to say, I'll just give it to a fund manager. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, I'm going to show you how you just simplify it. And I prefer bottom-up investing, i.e. looking at the individual companies. I'm going to see, uh, show you how you do that. And what about energy? I'll be surely with COP. 26 and everything else. Energy should be there. Financials, rising inflation. Aren't financials supposed to do better? I read that somewhere, Alpej. And consumer discretionary. Wait a minute. We've got all this COVID stuff still going on. Wait a minute. How, why are we going into that? Okay. Um, and so on and so forth. Okay. So why and how do I decide that? Well, I don't gamble on sectors. I don't gamble on geographies. I look at the bottom-up approach, and I will explain that. And some of you have seen this before. I explain why I look at the individual companies, and then I look at the numbers for those individual companies very quickly and get the computer to do the hard work, narrow it down, and then uh, finesse it. Okay, my brain power comes in only at the finessing part where I say, mm, that one over that one, and that's it. The hard work, let the data and the numbers do it bottom up. I don't like just sitting around reading, reading, reading. Well, I used to, but I don't so much now. I'd rather play with my three-year-old son. So let's work out that process, okay? And there's, an, uh, by the way, there's another complication. You, again, you might want to take a picture of this because I'm going to run through it uh, in a second. I'm going to move the slide forward. And this is from Blank Bank of America. Wait a minute, what about months? Yeah, some months are better than others. Hey, Alpesh, here's a trading strategy. Maybe you should just trade because, look, you're up 62% uh, at any month where you're up. Uh, over 60% of the time, those are the only months we should be trading. So should we just come back in November and December and January, you know, buy on November the 1st and sell January the 31st? There you go. That's 60% of the time you're going to be up. Uh, and then back in March or what, right? Actually, I don't care about seasonality. These little pieces of data which are thrown at you all over the place, they all sound great, but I don't care about those things. And... These are some of the most recent headlines. I wanted to share these with you. Well, how are we going to incorporate this information? Uh, so if I share with you, Goldman Sachs says, buy these 20 stocks and they're pushing them. Uh, does that mean, let's assume they're not lying to us in the public eye and destroying their own reputation. Then how do we decide which of those five are set to surge? Or Bank of America says, small caps. What about market cap? I, you know, I talked about sectors. I talked about geography, talked about seasonality, market cap. My God, there's just too many variables. That's why I like bottom up where I don't actually care about geography or anything else. What I care about is the companies produce three sets of accounts, cash flow, balance sheet, profit and loss. Let's start with that, narrow it down, and then we can look at all the other things like is it small cap or not. Okay, those are our tactics, those other things. And that's what I'm going to teach you and why I think it's easier for you to do that than say the opposite example, which is you go through all 9,000 companies, you read the annual reports of every single one, you look at their websites, you read what all the analysts say, you go meet the company directors for all 9,000 companies. Is that, yeah, I'm saying there's many ways of doing it. Let's pick the easy way. Let's not be stupid and pick a really difficult and complicated way, okay? Um, Goldman Sachs says shares uh, uh, through investing strategies, prepare for, prepare for unexpected shocks in the stock market. Well, we better know about that because there's going to be some of those. I mean, guaranteed, there is going to be a downside shock. Why? Well, because there always is. What do you think? This time it's going to be different. The S&P 500 is vulnerable to a correction of up to 15% with tech stock valuations at dot-com bubble levels. Morgan Stanley says, not my words, Morgan Stanley says. And these things can become self-fulfilling. So how are we going to handle the fact that on the one hand, you've got banks like Goldman's saying these have got 50% upside, we want that. And on the other side, you've got others, and probably usually the same banks, because they like covering their asses, 
the same bank saying, oh, it could also drop 15%. So what happens if it goes up? They can say, oh, look, look, we were right. And if it goes down, they can say, oh, look, we were right. Yeah, they do that all the time. But they are right. Both things are going to happen. Some are going to surge 50%. How do we make sure we've got those? And how do we protect ourselves if it falls? Um, without trying to time the market, without trying to say, oh, oh, I'm going to gamble. It's going to go up. Oh, now I'm going to get out. Now I'm going to go up. I mean, how many people, when it fell on last week, uh, sharply got out only to find that the, one of the biggest moves up was the very next day, which, by the way, statistically is highly likely. Okay, very many people. So that's the essence of the approach I'm going to give you. I'm giving you this background information so you understand why I'm teaching you what I'm teaching you. But look at this, the great 2021 profit rebound. We just saw in the last slide this mention about the tech bubble. Well, I was there. I had my own show on Bloomberg during the tech bubble. And I can tell you the problem with the tech bubble, we all knew, was lack of earnings. So we knew to buy into those stocks. It was a bandwagon. Uh, get on the bandwagon, but jump off before it falls off the cliff. Everyone is waiting for somebody else. A bit like... Um, I don't know, poker or Russian roulette, we are thinking, okay, when's the gonna great sell-off come? Uh, uh, so we knew to ride the upside, but we knew at some point it's going to fall. What's different at the moment is this is earnings-based. Look, year-on-year year change in S&P 500 earnings per share in percentage terms, there's actual profits. We're talking about profitability. Now, if a company's got profitability, there's less likelihood it could crash. I mean, it could still pull. Look at when coronavirus uh, became such wide public knowledge last February, Guess what? Even the mighty Microsoft, rich in profits, and Amazon and Alphabet all fell uh, by about 15, 20% roughly. So everything can fall uh, despite being profitable, but it's less likely to. And our essence of what we're going to do is we're going to look for companies which are going to outperform to the upside if the markets rise. And I don't have a crystal ball to tell you if the market is going to rise. I can take a good guess. And protects us on the downsides should they fall without trying to time. Now is it going to fall? Now is it going to rise? Which is what the journalists and the magazine writers want you to do is to try and time and gamble and speculate. We don't want to do that. We want to take a, a more of Warren Buffett type approach, which is they're solid companies when they go up will uh, benefit when they when the markets come down. We won't lose so much. Now the 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 the, the thing we're going to do, which is slightly different to what pure investors do is, you know, um, sometimes you see the markets rise up and you think, oh my God, Arpish, I've made such a great return. What shall I do? We want to make sure that we uh, uh, don't just wait for it all to come back and give it all up. We've got to protect some of the profits we've got. So how do we lock in profits when we get them uh, as well? That's the other aspect. And like I said earlier on, bringing it right back, Underperformance is rife amongst active fund managers. I want you to be your own fund manager. This was this is back from 20, uh, 2011. Okay, this is not new. And 10 years before that, there was an article like this. And 20 years later, there's an article like this. Okay, uh, underperformance amongst active fund managers is rife. Why is it rife? Well, for all the reasons I've just hinted at and told you, which is they're picking by geography, they're picking by sector. So they've got a very narrow gene pool of companies to select from. And if they've got a narrow gene pool of companies to select from, imagine you're hiring people in your company. Guess what? If you've got very few CVs, you're not likely to get a very good bunch of candidates um, that you can hire because you've got very few. It's just statistics. You've got very few. So we're not going to pick by geography. We're not going to pick by market cap. We're not going to pick um, by sector. We're going to look bottom up and say, right, as long as their numbers match, as long as they give me the various criteria that I want. So what are those criteria? And that's what I'm going to teach you. And there's another thing here. The vast majority of you here will be uh, from the UK. I know, Sagan, you're from Nigeria. We've got people from Scotland. We've got France. Uh, let me know which other countries you're from, just so I can make this very bespoke to you. But the vast majority will be from the happen to be from the UK. And I think second most from the United States. Although it's a bit early for the US at the moment. So East Coast US. The other reason we want to look global is this. If you look at this, light blue is NASDAQ, okay? Which take as a proxy for the US. Or if you don't want to take that, take that, orange, as a proxy for the US. Now, over any rolling five-year period, uh, certainly with the S&P and the NASDAQ, you'll see it outperforms the UK markets. Now, I want my fellow UK people to be rich in their SIPs and ISAs. What they don't often realize is their SIPs and ISAs can own equities in these other countries, as well as Chinese and all the rest of it. And the reason the government does that is because it wants you to be rich in your old age. So it lets you buy uh, and invest in companies from anywhere in the world. Okay. Uh, now, the benefit is it avoids the poverty gap when you're older. Because if you look at the last five years, 
then what happens? The UK keeps you down there and your pension has hardly grown. You look at the other countries and it's gone up. Maybe it's doubled, right? Maybe in some cases it's more than doubled, right? So they're getting richer and you're not, even though you could invest in the same stocks as them. And this is the point where somebody goes, yeah, but it costs three pounds more to buy a foreign stock. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's a very good reason not to double your pension money because you might have had to have paid three pounds more. Okay, and that worries me. The other reason I want you to pick international is, like I said, that ability to select from a broader range of equities. I'm going to show you how to narrow that down and how to do it. And the other thing, the reason I want you to pick these yourselves, at least if you're confident enough and believe you can, and I'm going to teach you the way to do it, is this. This is from a typical UK fund, a typical UK fund. I've not picked one which was high in fees. This is a screenshot from one of their PDFs that they send you, okay? And it said, investment, £10,000. If you cash in after five years, total cost will be £1,000. That's 10%. This comes as a shock to people because they were led to believe that the annual costs are about 0.3%. I'm afraid not. This is page, what, 16 of that PDF that they send you as a client? Have a deeper look. The number of, the amount of hidden fees that still goes on, it is shocking. I've written an article about this on my blog about the fact that uh, there are so many uh, hidden charges and they're still lying to you about this, okay? And it's still an ongoing problem. Uh, the blog, if you want it, it's on tradermind.com forward slash news. I can give you that at the end. Um, I mean, I've put a whole load of links on there as well. So you'll see uh, uh, that that is indeed the case. I can't find it right now, but anyway, there's other ones. Um, uh, uh, and there's a lot of research which goes into each of these, and it will show you that the hidden fees are still a major problem. And you can, If you want to continue researching, that part's up to you, and you can do it. Right, so let's go into my approach, grab that pen and paper, and why we're doing bottom-up. And by the way, for those of you who want to gamble and want to double your money by tomorrow and think I'm about to tell you, hey, buy this stock, buy that stock, not this, not that, uh, this is not for you, and you can exit. The fact of the matter is, yes, we'll be looking at specific stocks, uh, but this is not about gambling on... Uh, this company for this week is going to boom up because I saw on social media that they've got a potential license for something. We're not rumor mongering. What we're doing is having a sensible approach, which is suitable for my SIP, my child's ISA, uh, and what I think would be suitable for retirement and pensions. I stocks which will, uh, and I and I review them every 12 months, and then I might keep them for the next 12 months, but nothing is bought for five years blindly and stupidly. Uh, I'm not married to my stocks. Okay, where no matter how bad they turn out, I've just got to hold it because I said five years. I made a vow the day I bought it. Um, you know, the, the broker said to me, here's your commission and here's here's where the priest is going to make you sign a vow that you've got to hold on to this company for the next seven to 10 years, no matter how rubbish it turns out. No, I'm happy to divorce my stocks after 12 months. All right. Uh, but if they're good, they get to stay in. I'm more like a football manager than a, a husband to my stocks. Got it. So. How do we come to those conclusions then, where we get a mixture of companies that we're looking to get a 40% a return on? And that's excluding if I might use leverage. Now, leverage is high risk. So big red light warnings. Ignore leverage until I talk about it. And I only ever do two times leverage, whether it's CFD spread bets or ETFs. Okay, but we'll come to that later. Park that for the moment. Park that for the moment. Don't panic. Park it for the moment. Okay, so these were some of the picks over the last... 12 months, just some, right? And some did better than others. So how do we generate these summer well-known names like PayPal? Others are not. Uh, I certainly didn't know what BOTB was until I realized, oh my God, that's the people you see at the airports and on TV and who knew they would do so well. And these are just some of them. Okay, so how do we come to those? Like I said, I'm moving through this pretty quick. If you didn't catch the bit about where I said take photos uh, and then pour over it in your own time, uh, then I'm saying it again. Grab a phone, get ready, and take photos. So where are we at the moment? This is where we are. And by the way, I wanted to put this in context. So China, uh, in the past year, this is where we are. It's uh, up, whatever, 2%. India's up 56%. NASDAQ, we're roughly 40-ish. So great. For this year, for me to get my 40% targets, it'll be pretty bloody easy because the market's given me most of it without me trying. So guess what? This year should be a blowout year. And if next year I the market goes zero and I only get 20%, then over two years, I should have averaged 40% per annum. Do you see what I mean? It's not guaranteed. Some years you do more, some years you do less. Some years you've got a tailwind behind you. 
Okay, like flying a plane, you've got a tailwind and it's easier to get it. Other years, you've got a headwind and nobody gets it. Like 2008, I didn't get 40% in 2008. If I did, I would have been a bloody genius. Uh, Neither did hardly anybody else except maybe one or two people. And then they never got that ever again, ever since, because they were always talking about how things are going to be a disaster. And so they just suffered for the next 10 years because the disasters never came after that yet. Right? So... How are we going to individual pick? And like I said, the good news is, whilst I expect further upside because of earnings, that's not the reason why I'm fully invested. Uh, I'd still be picking stocks the same way I'm going to tell you. It's just that if these earnings weren't there, all this earnings optimism wasn't there, I'd be saying to you, well, I'm still targeting 40% per annum over the long term, you know, average it out, let's say over 10 years. But I don't think this year it's going to be a 40% year, no matter how good my stock picking skills. Whereas other years it'll be, yes, that is a phenomenal, uh, definitely a 40% year, regardless of my stock picking skills, because I had a tailwind. Got it? Tailwinds and headwinds. So what gives us that tailwind? Earnings do. They happen to be good. They're out of my control. Okay, they're out of my control. My crystal ball, no matter how good it is, or my time machine cannot give you earnings. That's a tailwind we've got. You know, like I said, it's when you fly from, you know, when you fly from London to New York and it goes, oh, the captain says, we're going to get here in four hours, 30 minutes. And you think, whoa, how did that happen? And other times he says, you know, take seven hours of tailwinds and headwinds. Okay. And at the moment, it looks like we've got a good tailwind as long as we don't mess it up and buy companies with which are rubbish. Right. Equally, there's another new interesting tailwind. Uh, and none of this helps us speculate or gamble because we don't want to speculate or gamble. Uh, it's just background information to give you that why we're in a good period where we should be looking at a 40%. I don't think it's unreasonable. I'm not generating it. The bloody companies are generating it. Okay. And it's this. It's retail investors. These guys are nutters. Uh, what they're doing is every time the markets fall, they just jump in. And you might say, well, Alpes, you should stop them. Uh, you should caution against it. Surely they'll crash the market down. Mm. Whatever they do, I've still got to have the same degree of resilience. Okay, whatever the weather is, I've still got to uh, protect myself, uh, uh, whether they're good or bad. But I'm just giving you background information of what is going on. So you get a better understanding of how come when the markets fell sharply, uh, they rebounded so quickly, Alpesh. Well, according to Bloomberg, and they're as clever as it gets. And like I said, I had my own show on Bloomberg, and I know them intimately. They're a bloody good uh, information source. Day traders take Wall Street by storm again in record dip buying, and they shared the numbers. So, okay, I don't need to understand that. I'm not gambling on it. I'm not betting on it. What if tomorrow morning they wake up and all these retail investors decide they're not going to get in the market? So I've still got to be protected. So how do we do that? And by the way, like I said, we've got a great tailwind at the moment. Because the recent, and this is from um, uh, Standard & Poor's, recent risk-adjusted return ranks in the top 5% of all days since 1960. In other words, risk-adjusted returns. Returns, okay, uh, are pretty much one way. We're not getting much by way of downside. You might say, hang on, Alpesh, that means we're, that's not sustainable. You're right. That's what I'm saying. We're going to get a pullback. Uh, equally, it doesn't take a genius to say we're going to get a pullback. Bloody hell, you know, history suggests we're going to get a pullback. Uh, but equally, what it tells us at the moment, we've got a great tailwind. It's just everybody's going one way. We're in some kind of, I mean, I can give you explanations. Is it loose monetary policy, fiscal policy? Is it the fourth industrial revolution with technology? Whatever it is, I don't care as long as we're making money. What I care about is how we're going to pick those equities. That's the most important part. And like I said, this is S&P drawdowns over the last 10 years. Yeah, it can be as bad as down at almost 35%. And you might say, well, but you keep talking about the downside. What's wrong with you? Let me tell you why. It's not about the money you make. It's about the money you keep. And the money you keep only happens when the markets fall. That's when you know how much you've kept. So don't tell me, hey, Alpish, I'm up 100%. Unless that money, as my grandmother used to say, is sitting in your bank account, my friend, in cash, you ain't made jack. All right? My grandmother used to put it in similar terms. And she's right. Don't tell me, you know, bird in the hand, right? And this is going to happen. Yes, we're going to have done. So we need to protect ourselves. Uh, but that doesn't mean we want to be so cautious we don't get any of the upside. Right, because we know there's huge upside as well. And look, look, lo and behold, Goldman Sachs said a minute ago there's all these stocks that are going to go up. Now they're also saying there's going to be a pullback. Of course, they're going to talk two faced, or rather, it's a big company. I'm being a bit uh, unfair to them uh, to make my point. Uh, right, what else have we got? I'll come back to um, I'm co chairman of this uh, charity and uh, with Lord uh, Billimoria, and it was set up by Lord Lumber. Uh, and that's me. Ooh, there we go. Okay, um, I'll come back to that at the end, right? So this is part of where I'm getting my information from my forthcoming book, which the FT are going to publish on forecasting share prices. Keep an eye out for it. Talk about plugging a future book. You know I'm not doing this 
because I'm expecting at the end of this webinar loads of royalties because the book's not out yet. Okay, and I'm taking all my information from this as well. But I'm also taking it when I get data like this. As I had from Angela, this is great. This is a great example. March 26th last year. Go look at when the market bottom was last year. Okay, this is one of many things which come through my desk uh, or across my desk as I had from Angela. And we see it and we think, okay, these guys are starting to sing a different tune all of a sudden. Uh, and that changes our opinions. And that's what I'm going to share with you. How, how can you incorporate all of that? So we're going to remove these problems. We're not going to pick stocks like this, Numpty. Hey, I normally say to people, they tend to be over-diversified. People have read somewhere or somebody told them or the you know, guy at the pub said, oh, yeah, diversification, you want to have about 100 stocks, mate. Okay, well, this is just one graph I've got. There's a lot of others and there's academic research on this. And you can experiment yourself and go find it for yourself. Most people tend to have too many stocks is my general, not specific advice, general advice. To you personally, I think around the 15 mark is suitable for most people. Can't tell you individually for each one of you because I don't know you personally. But around the 15 mark, maybe possibly 20 if they really want. But, you know, I've got people um, who've got 50, 60, 70. And I just say to them, look, statistically, you, you're going to take all this. Uh, uh, by being over diversified, what's actually going to happen is you're not going to get the upside. You might protect from the downside. You'll be just index tracking, in which case buy, go buy an index tracker but you won't get enough of the upside because you won't have enough money in the really good companies. You won't have filtered and selected them neatly enough because you've gone and bought bloody everything that moves and you'll have felt psychologically happy because you'll have said, oh yeah, but when I look at it, some have gone up. Well, of course they have. You bloody own everything on the market. Something's bound to go up, you know, every single day. That over-diversification, people get so attached to. Uh, so, you know, what I normally say to them is roughly around the 15 mark is what you're looking at. I wouldn't go below 15, but uh, 15 or more. Uh, is what you're looking at. I've already said to you, 12-month holding period. What's my data for that? I'm going to share you, share a Goldman Sachs slide for you in a second. Um, people also don't know when to let go. So let me give you some of the numbers on that. Because what happens is they bought a stock. It did really well 13 years ago. Uh, and they're still living off that. No, oh, it'll come back one day. It'll be, it'll be fine. I'll pitch normally banking stock is where it's happened. So how are we going to filter all this down? What's that bottom-up approach? And you might want to write this down. We know from the research, and I'll share some of the titles of the uh, academic research. And I did this in my Financial Times book. So if you're really interested in it, okay, and the research and knowing it, go and read that. It's a bit out of date, but the research isn't out of date. That I'm going to give you a free copy of to download. You'll be able to research the, the um, academic journals uh, where I've got this from, such as the Journal on Portfolio Management. If you really want to read that, feel free. I love a good geek. Uh, but um, otherwise, I'll give you the overview now. We know valuations are important but they're not the only thing when it comes to share price performance. And we know that other factors can outweigh them. But we also know there's lots of different ways of valuing things. So how the hell are we going to pick? There's price earnings ratios, price earnings growth ratios, price to book ratios, price to sales, discount cash flow. Similarly, we know growth is important. Companies with stronger growth tend to, the researchers do better than ones with poor growth. But there are exceptions and there are other factors. And what are we going to measure? Profits or earnings growth? Cash flow growth? Sales growth? Which of these factors? And you might say, well, they're all important, Alpish. Well, in that case, surely there's a weighting that has to be given to them and sure that weighting changes over time. And besides, I want to, for my own portfolio, tick each of these boxes. I want to tick the valuation box, the growth box, the income box. Okay, so that's going to be the essence of my strategy. It is going to tick each one of these boxes. Okay, momentum. So what are these numbers? What's the magic holy grail secret sauce recipe for KFC, Coca-Cola and this? Well, it doesn't work like that, but I'll show you some of the uh, the, 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 there's not a specific thing. We need to make sure we're ticking each of those uh, boxes. Now, we found and finessed, and I've printed this in my Financial Times columns, that there is a number on price earnings, okay, or a range, which is good. And we prefer that and PEG to price to book, funnily enough. I'm not saying price to book's rubbish. It's good. But if we've got price earnings and price earnings growth, then I don't need price to book so much or price to sales and discount cash flow is fantastic. However, it gives us too many anomalies. It works sometimes, doesn't sometimes, and therefore if I've got the other. Anyway, this is what a lot of the hard work and research came down to. Okay, and I'll come back to some of these factors, but this is where the strategy comes in. Similarly, statistically, are the returns, the average returns of the company skewed to the right? In other words, more likely to be positive than negative. That's statistical analysis. How is it distributed? What's the consistency of returns? Or is it too volatile? I don't want high volatility because, again, the research shows the more volatile a stock is, the less likely, funnily enough, it's going to give you a, a, a higher average return going forward. What's going to happen usually 
is people have overpaid for volatility in the mistaken belief it was more likely to give them a better return. Uh, it might in the short term, but over the long term, not a good idea. So anyway, these little bits I'm putting in all of this. So how do we break this up? Strategy and tactics. Strategy is, have I tipped the valuation box, growth, income, cash flow, outperformance? In other words, is it outperforming the market, what's called alpha? And uh, Sortina, which is a measure of return versus Volatility, in other words, is it consistently giving a good return? Consistency means low volatility, and a good return is the alpha part of it, okay? So putting all that in, that's the strategy, and it needs to tick all of those boxes. I'm not selling you a UK fund, a growth fund, in which case it would have to just be UK and growth. So I can pick and tick all those boxes, which I think is how private investors should be darn well doing it. Private investors shouldn't be thinking, oh, no, I've got to give it to a fund manager. He's giving me this rubbish or an IFA who hasn't bloody clueless um, and is doing it for a salary. Uh, uh, instead, we should be ticking those strategies. Now, within a strategy comes a tactic. You can, if you wish, entirely up to you. I don't particularly care. These are the things which can change over time. Market cap. OK, now, at the moment, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say tactically, well, I don't care. But I think larger caps are going to do better because people are getting more and more worried about the markets falling, and they tend to do better in more volatile times and high inflationary times, high growth times, blah, blah, blah. I might be wrong, but it won't matter because my strategy is in place. Similarly, which sectors? Well, tech is going to do well. I'm going to show you the proof of why certain sectors do well. Geography? Well, I'm broadly US, uh, but I have some UK. So I'd say three out of my 20 would be UK like CMC markets and actually it's not bloody been doing as well as all my other US ones so there's so much for Mr Geography Tactics my point is I might be wrong tactically strategically I'll still get my 40% some will lag some won't by the way if I could be 100% perfectly correct I'd only have one stock Warren Buffett would only have one stock Bill Gates would only have one stock they'd only pick one if they had the perfect crystal ball. Nobody on the planet has that. That's why we have more than one. So yes, some of mine, like CMC in the past bloody 12 months, has got 0%, even though it's hit everything. And yet another stock in America, which has also hit everything, has gone up a bloody 100%. PayPal. And you might as well know, CMC and PayPal are completely different. Actually, on the numbers, they tick a lot of, well, they tick the same boxes. Volatility. Tactically, you might say, I want low volatility because it tends to outperform. Or you might say, Alpish, you know what? I really want a lot of money in a short space of time, like 12 months. Uh, therefore, I'm going to pick the higher volatility. Let me put it to you this way. Let me ask you a question. Now, think about this. Would you rather in 12 months be up 40% or down 40%? Or would you rather be up 10% or down 10%? Right? There's no right answer to that. If you said, I'd rather be up 40%, but I could be down 40%, I don't mind, I'll take that high risk, that means you want high volatility stocks, okay? And over the long term, they don't tend to do as well as the ones which is up 10% or down 10%. Now, that confuses people. Oh, that doesn't make sense. It actually does if you're a statistician. Okay, we might look at the tactics of a particular guru, uh, like a Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, and I'll show you what they own. But just because they own it doesn't mean I'll buy it. It's still got to sit within my strategy. Got it? Just because they say they're going to buy all Goldman Sachs might say, I like the stock. It's still got to sit within my strategy. Do you understand now where strategy and tactics fit in and how I can relax and say, hey, does it fit my strategy? So what if the guy at the pub said, you got to buy this? Okay. Um, somebody told me buy funding circle. All right. It didn't fit the strategy. And guess what? Lo and behold, uh, and this is over the last six months. Don't mind me wrong. I might go up again. They went, Right. So cheers. Thanks. So word of mouth goes into tactics. Thanks for your word of mouth. But no, thanks. Keep it to yourself. OK. Uh, question. How do you know what works? Well, like I said, a ton of research. This is just one example. And you can have free access to this. I'll give you the URL in about five slides time uh, where you can download this and read it yourself if you really wish. Okay, what has worked in investing? Studies of investment approach and characters associated with exceptional risk. It's not the only one. We've got a ton of research. and I share the research with you. Uh, it's a bit like uh, the uh, with the virus, you know, people saying, well, here's this is AstraZeneca. But if you really want to read the research and how they did it, and you know, it's up to you as well. Here are the papers. I'll share the, the papers with you. And yes, what we do is, guess what? We went through every criteria. Price earnings ratio, highest, lowest. What's the compound annual return uh, just for that? And then we said, well, OK, that's not enough for us. Now let's look at, uh, at the other factors and filter and filter and filter. And that's how you get 
to the various names. So how would you do it? How would you create it yourself and do it? You'd create those tabs, valuation, growth, income, and all of those. And that's what I'm saying to you. I said, if you don't tick those boxes, so how do we get to those? And what names are showing up at the moment? Okay, so these are historic. Don't, don't go and buy these thinking, oh, but you told me to recommend. I wouldn't necessarily buy these today. Uh, some of these we've already exited out of anyway, and these are old pictures. They might be, uh, I think they're over a month old anyway. Okay, so it's just showing you some of the stuff. So they've gone up even more because the market's gone up in the past month. I should probably update it so I look even cleverer. Uh, and you might say, what, from zero? Uh, there you go. Okay, now, how and why did we do this? Uh, that's the outcome, right? And I've been writing about this for donkeys. I don't want people to think, oh, you're Johnny come lately. That's 2004, an article of mine in the Financial Times about it. Okay, you want even older? I've been talking about this. This is not new. Okay, I've been doing it long enough. That's my article, September the 11th, 1999. And you can see there where I've said, listen, I want a more wider uh, group of companies. And I think it's the US ones. And you just tell me how the US has done since 1999. And that's not my golden wisdom. Oh, just buy American stocks. What I'm saying is we want a bigger universe and then we narrow it down. And that gives me uh, a hell of a big return. Um, better than just picking from a narrow gene pool. By the way, in case you want to know, the FTSE is still at 1999 levels. All right. So guess what? The NASDAQ isn't. Um, quickly, what I want to get across to you is you can be better than the fund manager. Sack the bloody fund manager. The IFAs is my ultimate uh, uh, goal with you. So let's, before we drill down into the numbers, let me tell you why. So in 2004, Financial Times said to me, you got a big mouth. Why didn't you then stack up against the fund manager and see if you're any good? So that's me winning that competition over 12 months, not over a week, not over a day, winning that competition over 12 months. Uh, and that's him uh, coming 14th, just above the bloody cat, and then apologizing several years later for being rubbish. Well, we in the industry knew it back in 2004. Guess what? The journalists just loved him, and they kept loving him and kept giving him lots and lots of media profile so he could raise lots and lots of money, okay? Uh, why else do I do this, and what are some of the strategies? Well, this. This is, pisses me off. UBS rich clients get Goldman strategies with no extra fee. I don't think it's right that the rich should just share it amongst themselves. So let's share some of the stuff with you that I see as actual manual. JP Morgan might share with us because they want us to buy their stuff. All right. So they do it. And like I said, it's not Johnny come late. Somebody once said, well, what about who are you, babe? Um, it gets, it's a, the only downside is a whole bunch of people who are joining me on this webinar for the first time from TikTok. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough to be your dad. Uh, I've been doing this long enough. Okay. So what's the end goal? Two last bits I want to cover in the last 20 minutes. What's the end goal? What stocks do I like? How do we break those numbers down and wrap everything up? How do we get those numbers? Okay. So how do we uh, work it out? What's worth looking at? What isn't? What's red flagged? What isn't? Which companies look good? Which don't meet the mark? Um, and what's the end goal? Just very quickly, two minutes for the end goal. And this is important for any of you who don't know. Assume you've got a plan to invest over 10 years. And let's say with my help at education that I'm giving you now, okay, you get 20% per annum. Some years more, some years less. Nothing extravagant, nothing pessimistic. And it's not me delivering. It's the companies themselves that deliver it. And let's say you've got 100K in your 401K, SIP, ISA, whatever it is, okay? And that's quite a lot. So we'll do a, a simpler version for the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings in a second. Let's say you plan to add 1.5K each month to your portfolio right? Because you're quite well healed. And we'll do the poorer version of this in a second. Well, you'll have a million pounds by the end of 10 years. It's as simple as that. And there's the numbers. Okay, you'll have a million. All right, you start off with 100, you'll have a million. And that blue line is your contributions. You'll have a million. All right, notice when it starts taking off. For years, you don't really see anything great. It's really after about five years, it just starts getting crazy exponential. So you've got to stick with it. All right, let's assume you've only got 10k because you're in your 20s or your 30s. And you plan to add 500 a month divided equally, uh, sorry, 500 a month, okay, so six year, 6K a year. Then you'll return, with my help, saying 20% looks like this. And this is where my son comes in. He's three years old, right? So this is what happens with him. Uh, he, I've maxed out his ISA allowance, so he's more on this curve. So he's about here at the moment. So it barely looks like he's got much more than the, um, uh, the contributions actually the last three years have been rather good, as you'll know. So he's a bit higher up here on there uh, with his ISA allowances. But by the time he goes to university, he should uh, be uh, at about 600K, which in pounds works out at almost a million dollars. Okay, so he should be a dollar millionaire pretty much by the time he goes to university, the spoiled little brat. He won't be a spoiled little brat because I'm his dad. Uh, but my point is, that's what we're going for. So you start with 10K and over 15 years, you're building that to 600 Right. This is why those returns matter. Yeah, I know you think oh, this is compounding. Yeah. Guess what? People read about it. Don't bloody do it. So our job is, OK, what's the next step? How do we do this? Well, 
let's just work before we work out how to how the hell are we going to do this then let's do this bit let's do this bit when do we know to sell right 12 months you reevaluate if anything drops 25 percent from the highest point since you bought it you get out you don't have to follow that rule you can pick your own i just keep it simple i just keep it simple that's why i keep it a simple rule and that's good enough all right it's good enough the point isn't to what's my hypothetically I could have made if I had perfect 2020 vision. That's not the point. The point is keep it simple, get a good return on time. It's as simple as that. Now you might at the end of 12 months say, oh, it still hits my value, growth, income, momentum, outperformance, volatility, tick boxes, in which case you just hold it for another 12 months. But the fact that you already held it is not a reason to hold it for the next 12 months. The market doesn't care what's in your portfolio for the next 12 months. You still wanna look from the whole universe of stocks. Okay, again, and pick. Now, I say we've got about six tactics. I used to call these strategies, but it confused people. Tactics within the strategy. So the strategy remembers valuation, growth, income, momentum, cash flow, outperformance. Now, within that, I think there's six tactics, which are those tactical bits, which make people feel better. But quite frankly, I don't care whether you use the tactics or not. I don't care if I use the tactics or not, as long as it's within my strategy. All right. So what are those tactics? Now, before I come to those, I want to give you something for free. <laughs> Nobody ever does that, do they? All that research I mentioned. And these books you can download for free from that link. That's all right, isn't it? Take a picture. I'm about to change the slide. Anybody dare says to me, what was that URL? Okay, because their memory is like a goldfish's memory. Then you're not getting it. All right. I'm not in a good mood today, actually. Nothing to do with you guys, something else. Um, those books and many more you can download for free from that link. All right. And the research reports that I've given you on this. It's all for free, right? It's part of that campaign for a million, teaching many people better investors. So investment tactic number one, gurus. Just because a guru buys it, and I share this information with you, what Bill Gates holds. And by the way, Bill Gates, there you go, 24 holdings on those stocks. Doesn't mean I'll go and buy it. That's tactics, okay? Just because Warren Buffett has Apple doesn't mean I buy it. I bought it because it hit my value growth, income, cash flow uh, figures, because it hit those, all right? Um, so I'm just saying, just because a guru buys it doesn't mean I will. Just because hedge funds own it as part of my guru buys, and we'll look at their reports and see what they own, doesn't mean I'll go buy it, right? So, for instance, Etsy, eBay, great companies. Uh, I didn't buy it because the hedge funds were buying it. It just so happened they bought it, and I thought, oh, that's another nice little tactic within there. Similarly, it's the job of my team to tell me whatever Buffett or some of the gurus have. doesn't mean I go and buy it blindly, Okay, so that's, you now understand the difference between tactic and strategy. In tactic, I will leverage big, i.e. two times leverage, on what I think is lower risk. So I will have two times leverage Microsoft, I still do. Leverage is risky, risk warning, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, okay, uh, leverage on Amazon, right? And I'll get better returns. Actually, the Microsoft one, that's old, because Microsoft now, I think it's about 80% since I did that two times leverage. Uh, S&P 500 has been there for years. It's about 150% return now on that. And, and a lot of that has come in the last six months alone, I think, uh, just because it's triple leverage. I don't recommend you do that. It's the only thing I do three times every day. I do not recommend you do it because I don't have the time to explain all the risks involved with leverage, but it is risky, okay? So this is a classic example of, sorry, not enough time in this broadcast to do it, but anyway, it's one of the things we do. Investing tactic three, what banks tell their richest clients? Yes. Well, tactically, we'll say, if it fits into my strategy, oh, look, Citigroup, April 2020, uh, the banks, that's that red line, that's the analyst forecast, which are over, always over-optimistic, when it was at $42, said it could go to uh, 78. And I said, well, they're over-optimistic, let's say 70. And it did, and that was a 50% return. Actually, I don't know what today's price is, because that I think that slide might be a, a few weeks. Um, could somebody just Google what Citigroup's current price is? Uh, 60 is what I said, and that was the 50% return when it was 60. Okay, Capri, April 2020, you can see, oops, you can see the date there. You can see the date there. Uh, uh, when it was at $12, which is what's there, and the analysts had said $30 target. Uh, today, well, when I last wrote this, it was a 250% return. Okay, why? Well, not because the analyst said it. Now, listen to this carefully. Not because the analyst said it, not because the journalist said it, but because it was already in our strategy, value, growth, income, and so on, because it was already in the sort of what I call my approved list, my strategy, because it fit my value, growth, income, cash flow, momentum, outperformance 
of the market, low volatility, consistency of return. Then they said it as well. And I thought, ooh, I like this one. Okay, similar ones like that from March 2020, Disney. Now you might say, hang on, Alpesh, that's just lucky because the timings were, were good then. Yeah, so you get a better return. Let's say the timings were rubbish, then I might have just got 10%. And you might still think, bloody hell, Alpesh, the market fell 40% and you're up 10%? You genius. Do you get it? It's, it's yeah. You know, that if I haven't got a headwind, sorry, if I haven't got a tailwind and I've got a headwind, then these numbers would be smaller. It's not my fault. Not because I suddenly became rubbish one year, it's because of tailwinds and headwinds. Okay. So this is what happened with Disney. It did far better than I thought. By the way, by the way, if I was so amazing, then I would have known it's going to do that number. And I would only have put all my money on that one stock. I would have sold my mother-in-law on eBay, got the money for her, probably wouldn't have been that much, but got the money for her. And got that 73%, but neither I nor Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, or uh, Elon Musk knew this was going to get 73%, because we all would have loved a 73% return. Okay, maybe not Elon, he probably wants fucking 7,000%, but everyone else who's sane would have wanted a 73% return. So I'm just saying to you, whilst it all sounds, oh, 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 how did you do that? I didn't do it, they did it, and there was a tailwind, and I didn't know how much it was going to do, that's why we have more than one. So somebody said Citigroup's at $67. What was it when? So I need to update these slides because then I'll look cleverer. 67. So it's up even more. So it's more than 50% return. So can somebody work out what $67 is if you start off at $42? Uh, what percentage return that is? I can't do the math in my head. It's probably 61.3 is what I'm going to say. 61.3% return. Let's see how close I am from my mental maths. 61.3. Okay, see if I'm close to that. Uber, I did far better. And people say, are you mental? The, the world went into lockdown. You said Uber? And I said, well, I had the numbers. You know, the numbers were still strong. Uh, and that was an 85% return. Uh, these have been exited from. So I can't, by the way, Citigroup can't take credit. Don't, gee, it's pointless asking you to do it because we've exited from it. Um, so, you know, oh, 59.5. I was out by 1.7%. On that one, because I said 1.6%, because I said 61.3, 1. whatever, 7%. Uh, in March, we said this one. Uh, so my mental maths isn't too bad. Uh, in March 2020, I said you can go from $12 to 37 Today it was at 41 I think. I don't know where it is now. But anyway, when we exited, it was. So that's that one. Uh, and so on. I won't go through all of those. My point is this. That's a tactic, not a strategy. Also, when you look at analysts and somebody says, oh, the guy from uh, RBC Capital said whatever, you know, you're reading a magazine or a journalist or in internet, whatever. Listen, that's not enough research. What it has to be is not just which bank, what target did they say, who agreed with them, what's their consistency of track record in that, and how recent was it? Do you see how it's a lot more complicated than it looks? Equally, I'll give you an example. Um, oh, 121%, it could go up. Yes, but who else said it? Okay, so it doesn't matter that one person said it. How good were they? How consistent are they? How good is that individual and who agrees with them? So whether it's self-fulfilling or otherwise, that's what's important. That's what's important. Another tactic, sorry, I jumped around and I haven't shown all of them, but tactic five, curtails are big money. Yes, like I said, we will look at what the hedge funds own. And these are some of the ones whose data we get our hands, our dirty little fat hands on. But that doesn't give us an extra edge. What gives us an extra edge is just that's the tactic part. We put very little weight on that, funnily enough. Or what Goldman's are saying, it's tactical, right? Tactical means low weight. It's the strategy that's important, value, growth, income. And the reason you're often gambling in the markets I'll tell you right now is because you haven't ticked all those boxes. And if you have less information like the valuation of a company, its revenue growth and its momentum, all those other factors, you're more likely to be gambling because the definition of gambling is having less information, okay, before making a decision. Investing is like learning to drive. Valuation, wing mirror. You all managed to do it. So at this point, before you think it's too complicated, you can all drive. Okay, if any of you can't drive, let me know, and I'll just think, oh, God, this analogy doesn't work. You all learn to drive. Steering wheel is revenue growth. Rear view mirror is uh, uh, dividend yields. Okay, wing mirror is consistency of performance. We all managed to look at all those things and do it in a car, right? Well, you can do it with investing. And this number again, 15 stocks. Okay, why 12 months? This, this comes from Goldman Sachs. Take a picture. I'm going to save time, so I'm going to run through it. But essentially, what's happened is the holding periods for equities in most accounts have become 12 months. They used to be longer. But as we've got more information, the internet has become lower. Another, and this is probably one of my most important factors. Actually, this relates 
to the uh, strategy, not so much the tactic, which is these two numbers. Um, this was more important. This formula was more important during bankruptcy. Um, what this score is, it just tells you, if, uh, sorry, during COVID, uh, it tells you the likelihood the company's going to go bankrupt. So it tells you it's working uh, working capital, its assets. You don't need to remember this. You're not sitting and bloody examine this. But what you need to know is really, I want that number to be above one, really. Uh, anything below one, I'm starting to panic. That's not so important to me. It's not some holy grail. I, in fact, you know, most of the time that happens anyway. Value, growth, income, all those other factors are there. This one's more important. This is from Goldman Sachs. It's one of their um, slides that I stole from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Well, it's actually part of Goldman Sachs Research and their quantum database. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Goldman Sachs Research, quantum database. Shit, you want that, don't you? Here it is. There it is. Take a picture. Feel free. Take a picture. Okay, it's only one factor I look at. Now, since I've made this uh, popular amongst the retail audience, uh, people have, and it is me, and I will take credit for that, uh, made it popular amongst the retail audience from the institutional side, because we got our hands on this uh, because we're an institution. Um, many companies have started offering, but I guess what? They don't know how to bloody use it properly. Okay. Oh, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Ravi. Okay. Um, Charles asks, what's the ideal time for the 12-month investing cycle? Today. That's the whole point of it. We're not trying to time. Uh, we're not trying to say, oh, I think it's going to, let's wait, let's wait. You can pound cost average if you're worried. So leave it a month or put a third in this month, a third next month, a third month after. If you're risk averse, you work out, am I risk averse? Yeah, I'll do that. If you're not, if you're risk neutral, just do it today. Okay. Thank you, Ravi. I'm going to share that in a second with people. Um, cash return on capital invested. There you go. Cash flow at the top. And this, you don't need to remember this. What they discovered is companies in the top quartile, the top 25% by cash return on capital invested did 30% per annum. I didn't do it. The companies that I picked and invested in did it thanks to research from Goldman Sachs. I stand on the shoulders of, say, a PayPal or a Square and Goldman Sachs. But I'll take the credit. So that's my 30% right there. Okay, not every year, some years you get less, some years you get more. And not all sectors are equal. I've never shared this before with anybody ever, except I think in one of my books, and I don't know which. So you'll have to buy all 18 if you really want to see it. Uh, or take a picture now and you won't have to. So that dark blue is cash return on uh, capital invested. Um, and that was, it was just looking at um, uh, first quartile against second quarter. Oh, sorry, top quartile is in dark blue. And last quartile, i.e. the worst, but you know, imagine a school with exams. The people who came in the top 25% and the people who came in the bottom 25 by cash flow or cash return on capital invested. And those were the disparities. So you'd go long that and potentially short that, but ignore that for the moment. Just keep looking at the dark blue line. Some sectors were better than others. In other words, cash flow is more important than others or certain numbers are more important, okay? So which are those? Okay, and this has been the case, not just in a particular area. You might say, oh, well, discretionary retail, they might have just picked at the start of an economic boom. No, they looked at it over a prolonged period of time. And I'll let you take your own pictures on this. Like, for instance, media companies, Crokey is really not going to be a good uh, use. Neither is telecom. But bloody hell, it is for tech hardware and for software. I can hit my 96% returns and my 92% returns, okay? Total shareholder returns, and that's over that two-year period. What is it? 2008 to 2010. So almost divide that by half to get what the return was, 40% plus, 40% plus. Um uh, 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 oh, okay. Thank you, Marguerite. Thank you very much. Okay, that one. Um, insurance, not really good. 4%. I don't want that return. Okay, uh, I want close to the 90s over two years because that's 40% per annum. And you can see some do better. Autos, funnily enough, I have O'Reilly's Auto and AutoZone, and both have done fairly well for me. I don't come on my head. Okay, but you can see some sectors do better than others. In actual fact, that's the way I'd look at it. And I suggest you do the same. Okay, recreate it, value, growth, income, cash flow. You won't be able to use the same formula as me. I've given you the formula unless you're really willing to do it. So just try and find a proxy for cash flow, momentum, Sortino, alpha. Um, and then tactically, and that's where the real secret source is, then tactically work it out uh, uh, from, you know, you can follow me and what I think tactically is important at any given time as well. But what I suggest you do is take that approach. Make sure it's global. Monitor it frequently. Otherwise, you will trade your investments. Do not trade your investments. It's going to be very difficult for you to break that habit of, no, Arpesh, I want to time it. 
because trading's about gambling and speculation and getting the right sector at the right time and speaking to somebody cleverer than me who will tell me from inside knowledge, this is going to go up. No, if we knew that, we would have known that in 2008, the market was going to fall. And the same guys who knew it was going to fall in 2008 never got anything right ever since either. So there is no one person. The ones who did the, make the money took the approach we're taking, which is, yeah, there's some years where we won't make a return because the markets go down. We, do, we have a headwind so strong that our superhuman abilities don't allow us to penetrate through it. In other words, yeah, Microsoft went down last February and there's nothing me, you or anybody else could have bloody done about it. Okay, if you want to know a stock which went up between February, March, uh, February and March last, uh, March and uh, yeah, February and March last year, there isn't one, pretty much. Okay, uh, so not one strategy, well, not one tactic, one strategy, but not one tactic, and I think fifteen to twenty uh, picks. So that's the approach I want you to take. That bottom up approach for all the reasons that I've mentioned. I developed this side of things when I was at university. Red carnation, last exam. Uh, uh, and then you can see you have used it uh, uh, and the thesis and the analysis that I'm talking about to win.